Good morning to you, brothers and sisters in Christ and friends. It is a joy to be together in the presence of our Lord and the presence of the Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday. And I must say, for those of you who are in the room, it is delightful to see so many faces and to see smiles. And what a beautiful and wonderful day it is to gather. Uh, for those of you that do not know me, my name is Tara Beth Leach, and I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here this morning morning. You know, perhaps you've heard the story of the young violinist who played for 45 minutes in the metro outside of D.C. In fact, I'm sure some of you at least have heard this story as Dan Meyer, our senior pastor, shared it five years ago on an Easter Sunday. This young violinist who emerged from the metro to play his violin for 45 exquisite minutes playing Mozart and Schubert. And before playing, he placed his violin case on the ground, threw in some change in hopes that others would get the hint that he was hoping to make a few dollars on that day. And in that 45 minutes, somewhere around 1,000 people passed on by as he played his violin. Some paused for a moment to take in the music, but just a moment. And in 45 minutes, he was able to make $32. And I think, that's not bad. $32 in 45 minutes? But here's the wild thing. Just the day before, this young man, his name was Joshua Bell, a world-renowned violinist, had sold out at the Boston Symphony Orchestra with a minimum of $100 a seat. And he was also playing a $3 million violin. And in 45 minutes, he made $32. A thousand people passed on by, and not one person recognized the master in their midst. Could you imagine being one of those 1,000 people that passed by Joshua Bell on that day, realizing that you had passed by a master violinist? But in that moment, he might as well have been invisible to you, thinking, what did I miss? What did I not notice? So many went on by as if he wasn't even there. Today, as we continue our series, Credo, which means this I believe, we continue this on the Pentecost Sunday where we will reflect on the ancient line from the Apostles' Creed, which is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And you see, scholars in recent decades have noticed that so many Christians go on throughout this life living without even noticing or acknowledging the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, some scholars even note that the Holy Spirit is forgotten about in some circles. Perhaps you've heard of the pastor Francis Chan. He wrote a book on the Holy Spirit titled, The Forgotten God. Another New Testament scholar by the name of Gordon D. Fee notes this about the Spirit. He says, I think it's fair to note that if there is one thing that differentiates the early church from its 20th century counterpart. It is in the level of the awareness and the experience 
of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Ask any number of people from today, all sectors of Christendom to define or describe the Christian conversion or the Christian life, and the most noticeable feature of that definition would be its general lack of emphasis on the active, dynamic role of the Spirit. It is precisely opposite in the New Testament. The Spirit is no mere addendum. No, he is a sine qua non, the essential of the ingredient life. He is the essential ingredient of the Christian life. Nor is he no mere datum of theology, rather he is experienced as powerfully present in their lives. Whatever else may be said of the early church, they were first and foremost people of the Spirit. Such a stunning reflection of this juxtaposition between the people that he notes in the early church experienced the power of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was an experienced reality, he says. They were people of the Spirit, whereas today, oftentimes, it's an add-on. Or many go on throughout the Christian life as though the Spirit isn't even there or as though the Spirit is an invisible, but not so for the early church. For the early church, the spirit of the living God was an experienced reality. And here's a teaser for us this morning. The same spirit that hovered above the waters in creation, the same spirit that raised dry bones to life in Ezekiel, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that hovered above and within the people on the day of Pentecost, is that very same spirit that is here today, is that very same spirit that is present in our everyday, ordinary lives. So my question for us this morning then is, is the spirit of the living God an experienced reality for us? Is the spirit of the living God an experienced reality for you, for me, and if not, That must be a question that each Christian ought to wrestle with. You see, in the book of Acts, we see the birthing of the early church. Last week, Dan Meyer led us through this incredible moment where Jesus promised that the Christians, that the disciples would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and that they then would go throughout the world bearing witness to a very good and wonderful and awesome God, that they would go into the world bearing witness in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is alive. And after that moment, Jesus ascended to the throne where we now celebrate that he reigns as king eternally. Hallelujah and amen. And after that moment, the the disciples were gathered together In some ways, they were nervous, fearing for their lives, unsure what was going to happen next. Jesus has now ascended to the throne as as they were waiting and as they were praying, Acts 2 tells us the Holy Spirit comes upon the people and they can see visible tongues of fire above their heads and they begin speaking in all sorts of unknown languages. Something was happening. 
And onlookers looked and began to mumble and question, are they drunk? And one of the disciples stands up among them in that moment. This disciple you might remember by the name of Peter. You know Peter. Peter was often the one that he so was earnest and wanted to get it right. He wanted to understand. But he was the one in which Jesus rebuked and said, get behind me, Satan. He was also the one that denied Jesus at the cross. He was the one who who wanted to walk on water with Jesus, but doubted and sunk. He was the one he wanted to get it right. He was so earnest, but so often got it wrong. But now, this power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him on that day of Pentecost, and he stands up, and he emerges transformed, empowered, emboldened, and he begins to preach perhaps his first sermon as a spirit-filled man. Hear the words from his sermon. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you, listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. And then in Acts chapter two, verse 37, it goes on to say this. And when the people heard this, that is when they heard Peter's message. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And then in verse 40, it goes on to say, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. And then if we continue to flip the pages into Acts chapter three, we see another incredible moment where this same Peter who denied Jesus three times, this same Peter who sunk into water, this same Peter who Jesus rebuked and said, get behind me, Satan, after preaching his sermon, he then goes on to heal a crippled beggar. Something happened to Peter. Something shifted and Peter. Peter experienced the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit of the living God is an experienced reality, an experienced reality as God's transforming presence, and we see this in the life of Peter. 
The spirit of the living God can take this slow to understand, misfit disciple and empower him and propel him and impel him and embolden him to stand up and take on the authority as a leader, as a pastor and as a prophet and recall the grand narrative of God and proclaim it in such a way that the listeners were cut to the heart. They wanted to know what to do next and 3,000 were added to their numbers in that day. The spirit of the living God is an experienced reality as God's transforming presence. All throughout scripture, when we see the spirit of the living God enter the scene, we see a physical transformation at times. We see ethical transformation. We see emotional transformation, spiritual transformation, transformation from the inside out, from a life of sin to a life of holiness, from a life of despair to a life of hope, from a life of brokenness to a life of healing, from a life of spiritual emptiness and being lost to a life of abundance in the spirit of the living God, from a life of confusion to a life of crystal clear clarity when the spirit of the living God gets involved is an experienced reality as God's transforming presence. Peter was transformed. Another thing that we see about the spirit of the living God is that the spirit of the living God is an experienced reality as God's empowering presence. You see, before this moment, Peter was being prepared, of course. Jesus was teaching Peter and preparing him to be on mission. He was preparing him, of course, to go out and be God's redemptive presence in this world in participation with the rest of the apostles and disciples and Christians. They were being sent to make disciples of all nations. They were being sent that once the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them, they would bear witness to the gospel. They were being sent to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. They were being sent out. And we see Jesus preparing Peter for this moment time and time again. And now we see Peter living out this mission. You see, Peter wasn't just empowered for anything, but Peter was empowered for something very specific, and that was to participate in the mission of God around this world. And when we see the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost given out, we see power, and we see it in the ways that the early church teaches and preaches and heals. We see it in their generosity. We see them bearing witness that Jesus Christ is indeed alive and well and moving in this world. And dear ones, you and I have been given the same invitation. That is this same mission that Peter was invited to live into is the same mission for us today. That is when Jesus declared to the disciples that they would receive power to be witnesses in all of the world, to make disciples, to partner with God in the redemption of all of creation, to, to mediate God's goodness in this world, to mediate God's love in this world, to mediate God's healing in this world, to mediate God's reconciliation in this world, to mediate God's generosity in this world, God's grace in this world, God's love in this world. That calling 
is for you and I too. Some of you might be thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mediate God's goodness in this world. I thought that's what we pay pastors for. (laughs) Isn't that what pastors do? It seems wild, doesn't it? That God calls all of us. And some of you might be thinking, but that's not my gift. But here's the powerful and awesome reality for us this morning. God believes in us. But God would not possibly be able to believe in us if we were left to our own devices. God believes in us because God, because God gives us God's self. God gives us God's power. God gives us God's empowering presence in this world. Listen to the way New Testament scholar James D.G. Dunn says it as he is reflecting on the early church. He says, for Luke, that is a writer for Acts, he says, the mission of the church could not hope to be effective without this empowering from God, which transcends human ability and transforms human inability. We all have inabilities. And God takes those inabilities and takes a misfit disciple who could not possibly get it over and over and over and suddenly is empowered to preach a message in such a way that 3,000 people are cut to the heart. God's empowering presence, God's experienced reality as God's empowering presence is given to us today, which transcends our ability and also transforms our inabilities. We, brothers and sisters in Christ, are called every one of us, to participate, to share the good news, to partner with God in the redemption of all of creation. And we see this all throughout the book of Acts, the early church, the spirit of the living God empowering them to go forth. Now, this doesn't mean that they did not have trouble or setbacks. In fact, right away, Acts chapter three into four, we see problems. The honeymoon ends abruptly as Peter is questioned. They're thrown into prison. They have to stand before the Sanhedrin and testify. Then persecution begins to happen and we see this horrific scene with the stoning of of Stephen. We see more persecution. People are dying. People are standing up for Jesus and laying down their lives. We see shipwrecks. We see discord. We see all sorts of disagreement. In fact, after Acts chapter three, Well, yes, while the empowering presence is given to them to overcome, there is turbulence, there's challenges, and there are setbacks. But here's the good news. God's empowering presence, God offers them God's self as God's comforting presence. You see, the Holy Spirit was and is an experienced reality as God's comforting presence. And for some of you this morning, 
That's what you needed to hear. That God offers God's self as God's comforting presence to us today. In the book of Acts, we see the early church struggle and, and at times flounder and face division and setbacks. And you would think that by the time we reach chapter nine, we'd think, man, they should just give up. How, how are they sticking with this? And in Acts chapter nine, verse 31, it says, meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was built up, living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers, in unrelenting opposition and stonings. They experienced the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. No setback, no opposition. Nothing can impede on the comforting presence of the Spirit of the living God. This last year and a half for me has been some of the most, no, it has been the most challenging 18 months of my entire life. Five years ago, I had the opportunity to step into the pulpit of First Church of the Nazarene of Pasadena, or or affectionately known as Paznaz, as their senior pastor. It was the job of my dreams. I could not believe that I got to pastor this church and in sunny California, life was great, life was good. And then a year and a half ago, my, my dad, my beloved dad, 65 years old only, was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer and was given a year to live. Two months after that, my mom, my beloved mom, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And I found myself as a caretaker for my parents while living in Southern California, and they lived here. And then the pandemic set in, and I was pastoring a church through a pandemic in a polarized context, in racial tensions, in political tensions, while flying back and forth, back and forth to care for my parents. And this last August, I was sitting at the bedside of my dad, and I just said to the Lord, Lord, I can't keep doing this. And there in that moment, it felt as though I could not breathe. A bungee cord was wrapped around my waist, pulling at both ends. And one end was Southern California, this church that I loved so much. And the other end was my parents. And I said, Lord, I can't do both. And in that moment, an overwhelming sense of comfort came upon me. And it was as though the Lord just cut the bungee cord of one side, of Southern California and said, you can go. And I entered into so much unknown as my entire family, my two boys and my husband, my husband who was working for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, we left our jobs to come back here, having no idea what the future would hold, but knowing that God was calling us to care for my parents. And let me tell you, Those months were full of question and grief, but those months were drenched in God's comforting presence. I can testify to you today 
that God's spirit isn't a mere idea. It's not something that we discuss in the ivory towers of theology world. God's spirit is an experienced reality. And we have experienced it as God's comforting presence. We have experienced it as time and time again, God's spirit has washed over us, impelled us, propelled us, transformed our vision of success, empowered us to partner with God in new ways beyond our imagination and comforted us in times of grief. You see, the invitation on this Pentecost Sunday is to open ourselves up to the triune God as God's experienced, experienced reality for us today. As God's empowering presence, as God's transforming presence, and as God's comforting presence. And I wondered with you a moment ago about all those that passed by the violinist Joshua Bell on that day and later wondered what they had missed. I wonder how many reflected, what if I had paused and taken in the moment? What if I had noticed who it was playing next to me? If only they'd listened closer, if only they'd stopped, if only they'd opened their eyes. The spirit of Pentecost, God's experienced reality, God's empowering presence, God's transforming presence, God's comforting presence, is playing the grandest, most beautiful melody in and around this world. Is playing the grandest, most beautiful melody in and around this world as as God is healing the sick, mending the broken, reconciling the foe, comforting the distraught, offering hope to the despairing, freeing those who are in bondage, setting the captives free, transforming the sinner, purifying the unclean, filling the empty and giving strength to the weak. The spirit of the living God has been and will continue to be unleashed in and throughout this world and is raining down all around the globe. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go throughout this life missing it. I don't want to go throughout this life and someday reflect Did I not stop to pay attention? Did I not open my eyes? Did I not listen? Was I hard-hearted? Did I miss out on this gift of God's experienced reality? You see, this melody playing among us isn't one just to discuss, but the invitation is to open ourselves up to the infilling of the Spirit, the Spirit that transforms, the Spirit that empowers, the Spirit that comforts. Will you open yourselves up to the power of the Spirit today? Let us pray. Living, breathing, Majestic Lord, give us eyes to see, a heart to receive, a mind to understand, 
May Christ's church of Oak Brook and Butterfield be a church that declares that we are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, perhaps in ways we never imagined. And may revival break loose as we together open ourselves up to you. May the Spirit be unleashed in our lives as it was in Peter's life, as it was in the lives of the early church on Pentecost. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.